I believe the Lord wants to do something. This is something that's been burning on my heart for the last couple of weeks, and I want to I want to pick up right where we were singing. If you will turn with me to the book of John. I want you to remember that the last time we were in the book of John, Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish, which is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And after he did that, they had 12 basketfuls left over, and we're going to continue from right there, and in verse 16 of chapter 6, it says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. Say dark. Anybody ever afraid of the dark when you were a kid? No hands? Be honest. Who was afraid of the dark? How many are afraid of the dark now? Well, how many want to get on a boat in the dark when there's no lighthouses or any modern technology? Um, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind, say strong wind, was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is John's account of Jesus walking on the water, but this morning I actually want us to go over to the book of Matthew because Matthew tells the same story but with more detail. So if you will, even though we're going to the book of John, I would like to take Matthew's account of the same story. How many know some people tell different parts different ways, and they emphasize different things. And so John, that was the quick version. Matthew is going to be more like, if I had my sister explain it, way more detail. She just remembers things that I don't remember. I tell the same story, and I just don't remember some of those things. Um, did we dismiss our children? Hey, kids, I am so sorry. We're going to dismiss our kids at this time. You guys can go to Children's Church. I just looked around and I was like, man, this seems like there's a few more people in here than there should be. Um, kids, I think Miss Michaela's over there waiting for you. And so, uh, um, yeah, I think it's going to be good. Thank you, Mr. Dillon, for walking them over there. Let's look at Matthew chapter 14, where we see the same story. In Matthew chapter 14, we'll look in verse 22. And in Matthew, the same thing has happened. Jesus has fed the 5,000, so it's the same context. But right as he feeds the 5,000, it says in verse 22, it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And I want to look at this. Say made. It says he made his disciples. Now, 
This word in the Greek, made, is the exact same word you use when you tell your kids to go clean their room. You made them go clean their room. You compelled them. You urged them. You did not give them any other choice. You said, you are going to go clean that room, whether you like it or not. Now, we don't know if the disciples were arguing with Jesus. All we know is Jesus, he made them. And it says that he stayed to dismiss the crowds. And what we know from John's gospel is that when he goes to dismiss the crowds, the the disciples are gone. He's going to dismiss the crowds. And as he's dismissing the crowds, they're trying to make him king. Why? Because he just fed them with five loaves and two fish. He just took this bread. It says he took it. He blessed it. He broke it, and he gave it. It says he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. And so the crowds want him to be king because, oh my gosh, this guy can feed us for always. And he heals the sick. It's the best welfare, welfare program. But it says that they wanted to make him king, so he had to disappear it says after he had dismissed the crowds he went up on a mountain by himself to pray and i think this is so interesting that over and over again through the gospels we see jesus doing this oftentimes it's in the morning right now it's in the evening it's getting dark as we know and jesus will often get by himself to pray and the reason i think this is so interesting is like here's jesus who is god in the flesh and he's getting alone to pray to God. Now, isn't he God? Yes. Does he pray to himself? Guys, I don't understand how that works. All I know is Jesus wanted to be a good example to us. And if, if, Jesus, if Jesus needed to get alone to pray, doesn't that mean we need to get alone to pray? Anybody? Like, this is why one of the biggest things we, we preach in our disciple-making groups is, hey, you need an abide time. You need a time where you get alone with Jesus. And my, my question for you is, when is that time? When are you getting alone for Jesus? Now, Jesus, it says it was his custom to get alone in the morning and pray. But on this day, apparently, he didn't have time to do that. So what did he do? He said, you know what, you guys go ahead. I need to get alone. He made them go. Why? So he could get alone. That was part of it. But we know what's about to happen to them. He made them get the boat and go. And what's, what's down through the sea? What's waiting for them in the sea? A struggle, a storm, some wind and some waves. But Jesus made them go. How incredible that Jesus made them go where he knew there could be trouble. I want to challenge you to do something. We're not going to read it right now, but turn to Acts 16 and and put a bookmark in there. Because in Acts 16, this is Paul, and this is after Jesus has died on the cross and risen from the dead, and he's ascended into heaven, and there's a guy named Paul who decided he was going to kill Christians, but then God saves him. How many know Paul? 
right? So God saves him. Now he's not killing Christians. Now he's trying to lead people to Christ. That's, that's the passion of his heart, to lead people to Jesus. And obviously at first people didn't trust him. They're like, he's tricking us. He's just pretending to be a Christian so he can kill us. But in Acts chapter 16, this, this thing happens where Paul gets it in his heart. I want to go to Asia and tell people about Jesus. How many think that's a good thing? To go somewhere and tell people about Jesus. And God tells him no. He stops him. He said, no, you're not going to go to Asia. And then God gives him a dream and says, I want you to go to Macedonia instead. So Paul and Silas, what do they do? They're obedient to the Lord, and they go to Macedonia instead. But God, we wanted to go over there. God's like, nope, I want you to go over here. Now, how many know if you're in God's plan, he's going to take care of you? That's true. How many know if you're in God's plan, you'll never have any trouble? That's not true. How many know we have an enemy? The scripture tells us the enemy has come to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. We have a real enemy who really wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take us out. Would God in his strategy ever send us into places where the enemy is? Or he's like, no, I just want, you just stay home. You're good. You're fine. You know, one of, my, one of the, the things that, that bothers my heart when I read the story of David and his spelling with Bathsheba, right? When he committed adultery, he, he took a, a woman that wasn't his wife, that belonged to another man. What bothers me about that story is it actually says it was the time when kings go to war. It was the time when the king was supposed to be out taking the enemy's territory. But where's the king instead? He was in a place of safety and comfort. And what happened? He looked over and saw some pretty thing and fell into sin. When we're idle, we're not, when we're not going where God has told us to be, no, no, I just need to stay safe and comfortable. Guys, I'm going to tell you, when you're not where you're supposed to be, that's when you fall into sin. But it's hard over there. I'm telling you, you want to be where God has told you to be. It was the time when kings go to war. I, I, I think of this in the morning when, when we wake up, and maybe, men, you wake up and everybody in your house is asleep. That's your time to be abiding in prayer, not time to be looking for things on your phone that maybe you shouldn't be looking for. It's time for kings to go to war. So here's Paul and Silas. They wanted to go to Asia. God said, nope, I want you to go to Macedonia. And so they go, and they're in the place of prayer. That's good, right? They went to Macedonia House of Prayer. They were in the place of prayer. They led people to Jesus. They're doing the work of the Lord. Everything's going to be fine, right? Wrong. In the process of being obedient to the Lord, they get thrown in prison. Not just thrown in prison. They get thrown in prison and beaten and shackled. But Lord, we were obedient to you. And here we are. I guess we miss God. And that's what we say sometimes when life gets hard. I, I must have just missed God. 
I would say no. I say, well, sometimes when your life gets hard, you're exactly where God wants you to be, and you have a real enemy who's trying to take you out. We look at this story here in Matthew. It says, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Mark actually says they were tortured by the waves. Tortured. And and I'm going to be like, I struggle sometimes preaching through passages like this because they were real waves that they're really being tortured by. These aren't metaphorical waves. It wasn't, they were just like, you know, I'm just having a bad day, you know, kind of thing. They were being tortured by real waves and it was causing some real fear in their real lives. So we have to be careful just taking this and saying, well, this is a metaphor for the hard times of my life. But what it really is is his disciples experiencing real fear because of a situation they were walking through. And in that way, we can say, in a way, this is a metaphor for our lives. Why? Because how many have experienced fear because of situations you walked through before? Well, then this does apply to us. So one, we have to be careful in our Bible study, just like we just can't make everything a metaphor. We have to stay with the integrity of Scripture. But when I look at the disciples, I see the fear. And I see the troubled hearts. And I look at some of the situations I've walked through, and I've had that same feeling in my heart and in my life. So then this story then does become a lesson for me of how to walk through these kinds of seasons of life. It says in Mark 6, where we see the same story, it says they were tortured by the waves. And it also says in Mark 6, when Jesus saw them tortured by the way, it says he intended to just pass by them. Not, not as in like pass by and ignore them. It's like Jesus saw them and said, I want to be near where they're at. I just want to come close. So Jesus, his intention wasn't to walk up to the boat. His intention was just to get close enough where he could see them and they could see him. Just to provide some comfort. Just to provide some peace. It says that it was dark. It was the fourth watch of the night, which is from about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. I, I don't know about you, but like, I, you ever have one of those nights where you just can't sleep all night? Maybe you don't feel well, and you just can't wait for the sun to come up? Like, I'm just tired of it being night. Like, I just struggle. Anybody else, or is it just me? Like, I'm just tired of hurting. I'm just tired of the pain. If the sun would just come up, I would feel better. I, I, I felt bad. Our little Jackson last week, he's in third grade. Uh, last Saturday, he had a scooter accident. And he fell over and had to end up going to the hospital and getting stitches and everything else. Poor guy. Um, and um, so we go in a couple days. It's, it's a couple days after the accident. And we keep asking, how you feeling, buddy? How you feeling? And he keeps just saying, I feel numb. I just feel numb. Which is weird. He just kept saying, I feel numb. I was like. Shouldn't, I mean, they gave him a shot, but he shouldn't still be feeling numb by now. And one night, um, Stephanie asked him, hey, buddy, you want anything to eat? He goes, I don't think I can eat. I'm, I'm numb. And I'm like, that's weird. Like, that's strange. And finally, I was like, Jackson, what do you think numb means? He goes, 
it hurts really bad. <laughs> this poor guy, we'd ask him, do you want some medicine? I'm numb. <laughs> so we didn't give him any. Uh, poor guy, right? We're just in pain the whole time. So we trained him what numb means, and he still is only batting about 50% when he uses the word. Um, but that's us sometimes. Sometimes we're hurting, and we just don't know how to explain to others the way we feel. Sometimes you're going through something that no one else around you has ever gone through before. So you do feel alone. And I'll tell you something. Sometimes you can hurt long enough that you actually do begin to feel numb after a while. And your heart becomes hard and you become callous because you've gone through something that's incredibly trying, that's incredibly hard. You've, you've found yourself in the middle of a storm that you never asked to be in. A difficulty that you never knew. Sometimes it's something like a financial hardship that, that we don't know how to get ourselves out of, but sometimes it's the heartbreak because of a relationship lost. Sometimes it's a loved one that's passed away and our heart is heavy. Sometimes we just don't know what to do and we feel just this anguish inside and sometimes it just brings fear inside of us. And we look around and we say, no one else is going to understand what I'm going through. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus is close. That in the middle of your storm, He passes by closely. He wants you to know that He's nearby. What happens though is it says, but when the disciples saw Him, verse 26, walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. Can I tell you, like, the storms don't affect Jesus. Like, the storm didn't affect him. He was walking on the water. And guys, he wasn't metaphorically walking on the water. He was literally walking on the water, proving that he is God in the flesh. That's the bigger point of the story. Jesus is God. But I'd say sometimes in our situations, Jesus comes to us and says, I'm above the storm, I can walk on the water, and instead of saying, oh, thank God, Jesus, you've got this, all it does is terrify us, and we push him away, like, no, there's no way I'll ever be okay. Are you saying I'll just be fine someday? And I don't, I'm not saying you will just be fine someday. Storms have a deep abiding impact on us sometimes. Actually, if you want to be real honest, in the book of Matthew, this is the second time they've been caught in a storm. The first time, Jesus was in the boat with them. And they were freaking out. And he was just in the boat sleeping. And he gets up, and he calms the storm. And you think, oh, okay, I've learned the lesson now. Jesus can calm storms, right? Nope. Fast forward a few chapters. They're in a storm again. They see Jesus across the way. It should have been like, oh, there's Jesus. We're okay. Instead, it was like, it's a ghost. It says they cried out for fear. What I love the most about Jesus is the Scripture says that he doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Like Jesus wants to bring peace to our life. He doesn't show up to bring fear. In fact, 
when he shows up, when angels show up, when Jesus shows up in the scriptures, people start to freak out. They say, no, I, I, I can't be near you. You scare me. You're so different than I am. You're so holy. And Jesus, every time, he's like, don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid. I've, I've come to bring peace to your life. And he says that here, immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Immediately. He said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. In the middle of your situation, in the middle of your circumstance, I think sometimes we're so focused on the waves and the chaos of what's going on that we don't hear Jesus speaking to us saying, hey, I'm here, don't be afraid. The whole reason I came by wasn't to terrify you. The whole reason I came by was to bring peace to your life. Don't be afraid. And then Peter does something crazy. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. That's, that's outrageous faith right there. I, I don't care what happens for the rest of the story. In my opinion, that guy is Mr. Faithful the rest of my life. Are you kidding me? That's an incredible statement to make. And this is what Jesus says. He says, come. He says, come. I'm reminded in the scripture where Jesus is talking to me. He says, my sheep know my voice. Like, Peter knew it was him. Like, what if it was a ghost or a demon, right? Yeah, come on. You'll die, right? No. Peter knew his voice. He knew it was the voice of Jesus. And Jesus said, come. And it says, so Peter got out of the boat. In Matthew chapter 7, and we sang this last week. We sang firm foundation. Christ is my firm foundation. The rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken. Right? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, he says this. That statement right there. He says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock, upon a firm foundation. And then it says what? The rains came and the winds blew and the house on the rock, what? Stood firm. But the foolish man built his house upon the sand. Anyone know that song? A few of you? Yeah. The rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the sand went splat. Some of you don't know that song. We'll teach you later. But notice in that story, that parable that Jesus is telling, there's a wise man and there's a foolish man. One builds his house on the rock. One builds his house on the sand. What made the difference? This is what Jesus said both times. Whoever not just hears my words, and that's what we're so guilty of sometimes as believers. We're so guilty of hearing the words of Jesus and saying yes to the words of Jesus. But we don't do 
And that's how we, how do we define a disciple, right? Who, he who hears the words of Jesus, walks in the ways of Jesus, and does the works of Jesus. That's how we here at FOP define a disciple. Words, ways, works. You can't just hear Jesus or hear about Jesus or like Jesus or think he's cool and thankful for his grace and his mercy. No, you have to hear him and obey him. Jesus can't just be Savior. He also has to be Lord. And that's really hard because it requires something of you. And the reality is when Peter heard the words of Jesus say, come, and he put his trust in those words, and he walked out in obedience, he stepped out onto that sea. And even though it was wavy and, and torturesome and the waves were crashing right and left, he was more firm standing there than he was in the boat because he was being obedient to the words of Jesus. The question is, what is God calling you to? What is Jesus saying to you? When you sit with him and you're alone in your abide time, what is Jesus speaking to you? Do you hear his voice? And I'm, I'm not, I don't want to just be so like cavalier and think, no, you're too busy looking at the waves, you moron. Because that's been me before. The waves have been so big and so high, and I've had to have people grab my head and turn me and say, look at Jesus. Stop looking at the waves. Jesus is calling you. He's commanded you to do something. Walk in obedience. You know, one of the greatest things that were ever spoken to me was by my grandpa. When I was going through a really difficult time in my life a couple years ago, he looked at me and said, Drew, the callings of the Lord are without repentance. What the Lord has called you to, he doesn't change his mind about. It doesn't matter how you've messed up, even if it's you who put you in that storm. God hasn't changed his mind about what he's called you to. Even though things have been difficult, God still has a plan and a purpose and a calling for your life. He just wants you to walk in obedience to it. And when we do that, we're more firm than we've ever been. The problem is it's so difficult to step out of the boat. It says that Peter stepped out of the boat. It says he walked on the water and came to Jesus. And that's intense. in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the storm, that you can be on a firm foundation. When the circumstance, even the physics, even the science says you should be sinking. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, some translations say when he saw the strong wind. That's what John said. It was a strong wind. It says that when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. Now, I have a question to ask. How many of you have ever seen wind before? Have you seen the wind? We, we see the effects of the wind, and I, and I know it's talking about the waves, the wind blowing the waves. But it says, when he saw the wind. 
And I think sometimes we just borrow trouble. We look for issues even when they're not there. We make hard situations harder by seeing things we can't see. It says he saw the wind and he was afraid. And he does something very wise. He says, and beginning to sink, he cried out. And I want to encourage you this morning. Some of you have stepped out in faith before in obedience to the Lord, and you felt like you were doing the wrong thing, and in the middle of it got discouraged, and things started going awry. Can I tell you, the Lord the Lord has mercy and grace. He will not abandon you, even though you're completely sinking. He doesn't leave you alone. The scripture says, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's with you even in the most trying times. When you're doing great, standing on the waves, and when you're freaking out, sinking into the ocean, he is there. He cried out, Lord, save me. It's, it's at this point that, like, we have to realize that the enemy really does just want to discourage us and kill us and drown us. Like, he really does want to derail us. Like, even when we're out moving in faith, doing everything God has called us to do, the enemy really does want to take us out. Like the scripture says, the devil's like a roaring lion. He's looking to and fro. He's looking around, seeking who he can get, seeking who he can devour. Is it you? Is it you? I mean, you've been living in full faith for the last week, but today, today you've had a potty mouth and you've been mad at your coworker all day, so you're no longer one of God's, so I'm going to take you out. Like, he'll, he'll get you to believe that your situation is greater than Jesus. Like, Jesus there walking on the waves. I mean, you're walking in faith. I don't, like, I'm walking on waves. Oh, my goodness, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden you freak out and have a bad day. And that's it. God's just done with you. And he says, bye, as you sink to the bottom of the ocean. You know what I love about Peter? Like, Peter gets this revelation of Jesus. Hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter's like, oh, you're the Christ. And then a few verses later, Jesus is looking at Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. Like, like in one moment, Peter's like having these great revelations from God, and the next moment, Jesus is calling him Satan. In one moment, Peter's like, no one's ever going to do anything to you, Jesus. Like, I will die with you, Jesus. And the next moment, he's denying Jesus to a little girl. Like, I don't know him. And he's cussing at her. Like, I don't, blanket, I don't know who Jesus is. I'm not with him. Like this is Peter. At one moment, he's, he finally gets a revelation like, oh my gosh, Jesus is for people who aren't Jewish. And the next moment, some important Jewish people show up and he forgets the non-Jewish people. He's like, oh, I don't need them. And Paul has to be like, what are you doing? Remember, like Jesus is for the non-Jewish people. And Peter's like, oh, you're right. I'm so sorry. Like Peter is so... Back and forth all the time. 
And yet God uses him. What great comfort to us. That we're going to have highs and lows and ups and downs. And yet the Lord still will be merciful to us and gracious to us and use us. Even when we look at the wind and begin to sink into the waves. So it says, Jesus watched him sink. In verse 31. No, it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And I, when I was a kid, I always thought that was so unfair. He walked on, he got out of the boat, and he walked on water. Oh, of you of little faith, why did you doubt? How unfair is that, Jesus? You're mean. Jesus is mean. My wife was talking about um, the story where the, the woman who's n- not a Jew comes to Jesus, and Jesus calls her a little dog, calls her a dog. He's like, wait, what I have isn't meant for the dogs. He calls her a dog. Jesus is mean. Or he's God, and he's trying to do something. He's trying to grow you. And she says, yeah, but, but even... Even dogs get scraps from the master's table, and he sees her, and he does a miracle in her life. The way my wife put it was he had to break her before he could remake her. Like, sometimes we're like, God, you're mean. And he's like, no, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you a place where I can use you. Sometimes we have to realize we don't always have it all together. And it blows my mind the people who want to pretend like everything's always okay. I'm good. No, I serve God. Everything's fine. I'm telling you right now, you're a liar. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm angry. Let me calm down a second. I mean, I hope everything's always okay. But sit down with me for five minutes. I bet we can find an area of your life that you say, if I'm being honest, there's this area I need to grow in. And I'm struggling in that sometimes I feel like I'm sinking in. What if Peter was like, I'm good? And he just sank right down. No, he cried out, Lord, save me. I don't have it all together. I'm having trouble. I'm struggling. I need help. Y'all, we can't be the kind of people who have so much pride that we never open up and say, I need help right now. I'm not doing good. We're like sheep who've gone astray, the scripture says. You know, the enemy, you know how, what he likes to do with sheep? He likes to get one of them off by himself so he can do what? Take them out. Not often he comes after the whole flock. Usually he just wants to single you out. And so in our pride, we say, no, I've got this. I'm good on my own. I don't need you guys. Like, here's my question. Who do you have that you allow to speak truth into your life? Who do you have that you let call you out on your crap? Who do you have that you're completely honest to? That you tell the most secret, darkest things of your life? 
Can I tell you right now, sin grows in the dark. And we hide, and we want everyone to think we're doing great. I've left that behind a long time ago. Sometimes I'm careful who I share my darkest stuff to. That's true. But I'll say this. The men of this church know more about me than probably most men know about their pastor at their church. I'm not trying to say we're a better church. I'm saying I do my best to be as honest and open and vulnerable with you men as I can. Because I'm not going to stand up here and pretend I like I have it all together all the time and fake it. Just put up a facade that says, I'm good. You're not good. And when you're sinking, you need to cry out, Lord, save me. And he'll use a brother in Christ to reach out and grab you and pull you up. To be Jesus with skin on to you in that moment. Some of you have been that for me. I've been that for some of you sitting in this room before. Some of you have been that for each other. Who were you open with? Who were you honest with? And will you let people speak to you in a way that could be offensive? Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? That's not offensive. He's growing Peter in that moment. He's saying, Peter, you doubted. You didn't have faith. That's the perfect opportunity for him to call him out on that. We have to have people who can call us out when we're not living the way we should live, when, when the Lord is not being allowed to move in us the way he wants to move. What's crazy is in verse 32, it says, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. When those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Worship team, can you come on up? We're going to worship here in just a moment. But we're going to do more than that. Here's my question. Why? Why? And I'll I'll be done here in just a moment. But I'm about to cause some of you to some outrageous action. And I want you to plug in. This is not a normal Sunday. And worship team too, if you need to abandon your posts to pursue the Lord, I'm asking you, like, don't let this just be a normal Sunday because here's what happens. Why, why did all this happen? What was the result of the whole thing? The result of the whole thing was Jesus being worshipped. Like, why did they have to go through the storm? Why did Peter have to walk in the water and then sink and then get rescued? Why? So they could realize who Jesus is and worship him. I'm going to tell you guys, some of you this morning, you've gone through some really hard stuff in your life, some things that I will never understand. And you're like, God, why did I have to go through that? It was so hard. It hurt so bad. Some of you steal that thing that you walk through. The enemy still uses it to beat you up. You say, why, God? 
And the Lord's answer is, He wants to be worshipped through your life. He wants people to see you and see the way you walk and worship Him. The problem is we're so used to self-preservation. We're all about us. We're all about hanging on to the boat and staying on the boat. I'm going to grab something here. You know what Jesus calls us to do? He calls us to take up our cross and follow Him. He calls us to death and dying. And what we say is, God, but what about me? What about me? What about what I want? The reason we become Christians isn't so that we can have good lives and get everything we want. Like I wish, like everyone would be a Christian then. Do you realize that? If that's what it was, everyone would be like, you know, all those Christians, like they have the best cars, the best houses, the best kids that never cause any problems at all. I want to be a Christian. But instead, Jesus, he says this, he says, In this world, you will have troubles. You will have difficulties that you have to carry. But he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Like, I walk on the waves. You are going to experience things that the enemy is going to try to use to take you out and take you down. Paul said, I die daily. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Like, it's not about us having good lives. It's about us exalting Jesus for him to be worshipped in our lives. You remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? God, God promised Isaac, or Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you uh, as many kids. He, he walked him outside. He said, look up at the stars, uh, Abraham. See those stars? I'm going to bless you with as many kids as there are stars in the sky. I'm going to bless you. And Abraham says, yeah, all right, it's all about me. It's all about me. And he has a son, one son, just one. And he realizes, okay, my entire lineage, all my kids and grandkids are going to have to go through this one son, just one. And this is what the Lord does. He tells Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, Isaac, your only son, your one and only son, and I want you to take him up the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him on the altar. I want you to take the supplies you need, and that's, how crazy is that? Isaac is carrying the instrument of his own death up the hill. Isaac goes, hey dad, where are we going? We're going to worship the Lord. Why? Because all things are about worshiping the Lord. Where are we going? We're going to sacrifice to worship the Lord. So Isaac's carrying the instrument of his own death up that hill. How do you think Abraham feels in that moment? I'm going to have to sacrifice my one and only son. I thought this was about me. I thought this was about me being happy and me having what I wanted. I wanted a son. I wanted a family. That's us sometimes. We, God, I just, just wanted, just wanted my my marriage to stay intact. 
I just wanted my kids to be raised in a household with two parents. God, I never wanted cancer. God, I never wanted to have to struggle with this addiction. Why? And the Lord, he says, I'm close by. Don't be afraid. Just take up your cross and follow me. Just follow me. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, Isaac gets laid on the altar, and Abraham picks up the knife and is about to plunge the knife through the heart of his one and only son. But the Lord comes and he saves the day because he is close by. But you know, the Lord knows our pain because what did Jesus do? He carried the instrument of his sacrifice up that same hill, and yet he died. He died. I'm going to tell you, though, that the thing, the thing that the enemy tried to use to kill Jesus, the Lord used to bring Jesus' greatest triumph. Listen to me for a second. Like, the enemy was trying to take Jesus out, and yet it was part of Jesus' greatest triumph to raise from the dead. Some of us, we have things in our life the enemy has tried to use to take us out. We need to take those burdens, those things we've been carrying, and use them to be an altar that we can sit those difficulties on and say, Lord, I don't know why I went through this, and I don't understand the difficulty, but Lord, use it so that you can be worshiped. Use it so you can be glorified. You know, a long time ago in churches, we used to have altars. They were shorter than this. But altars that were benches that sit in the front that we would come and kneel at and lay down our crap so the Lord could burn it up, so He could sacrifice it, so He could use it for His glory. This morning, I'm going to call you to an invitation to an altar. This thing's ugly and poorly put together. That's the point. I went to dig this lumber out of the backyard this morning. It was covered in mud and rain, and it was a mess. I was like, God, I'm not doing this. He goes, why? I said, because it's messy. He goes, oh, okay. Because life is messy. And you have some ugly stuff in your life that the Lord wants to use to be an altar so he can be worshipped. We worship God at the altar. So this morning, this is what I want you to do. I want you to step out of the boat and exercise some faith in Jesus. Like, Jesus isn't just trying to play games with you. Like, I'm going to give him a little bit of a hard time here and a little bit of a good time here. Like, 
Jesus isn't playing games with you. Like we're about to sing a song here in a second, like you don't give yourself in pieces. He's not just toying with you. He's trying to lead you to him, to bring you victory. This morning, I'm gonna ask you to step out of the boat and bring the things, bring your greatest successes and bring your deepest pains, like greatest successes. Peter walked on the water, greatest failures. He sank in front of all the other disciples. Bring it all and lay it out on the altar this morning and say, Jesus, be glorified in my life. Be worshiped because of me. But you need to move this morning. This is an invitation to move. The things that happen in our heart, so much of the time, they need to happen on the outside of us. I know you can seek the Lord sitting in your chair. I'm asking you not to. I'm asking you to come and kneel at the altar. That's why we have these steps like this across the front. So we have one giant altar across this entire stage. And if that fills up, that's what these front row chairs are for. These are bonus altar space for us to lay things down for the Lord. Yeah, you could sit there and be safe in your boat. I'm asking you to exercise some faith. Don't just stay in the boat with the rest of the disciples. Stand up and walk on the water and see what the Lord will do in you and through you. He wants to show himself to you completely and fully. He wants to reveal himself to you. Will you stand with me?